Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and I get to help you feel that magic again since going through my own dark night of the soul by chatting with incredible leaders, healers, and change agents who give us their messages of hope after overcoming challenges of their own. And today we're talking to the celebrated podcaster, behavioral coach, and seeker, Eric Zimmer. Most know Eric for his podcast, The One You Feed, but he's a lot more than that. After surviving addiction and facing prison, Eric's built a life of service and entrepreneurship that's definitely not boring. He's here to give you tools to help you create the life you crave now. Eric's coached hundreds of people from around the world on how to make huge life changes, and he's here telling you how to create habits to achieve your goals and how you can stay consistent. Get ready to feel empowered. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Eric Zimmer. Thank you for having me on. I'm glad to be here. You're probably best known for the Two Wolves parable with your your podcast, The One You Feed. Mm-hmm. What made you use that parable? What came first, that or the idea for the podcast? Yeah, I think it all kind of came together at the same time. I, I, was, I had owned a solar energy company and I closed that down and I was just looking for like what was next for me. I was, do, I was still doing consulting in my uh, original career field, which was in the software development world. But I was looking for something else to do, and I had started to get a little bit interested in podcasts. I I didn't really think about making one, but then the idea just sort of came to me like, oh, I could name the podcast this, we could ask that parable, I could interview people whose books I'm reading anyway, and it just seemed like a, a, a fun thing to do. I could ask my best friend, Chris, who was an audio engineer to help me, and so yeah, that, that's how I remember it anyway. <laughs> it was it was seven years ago or so, so I, pro- I maybe I remember it all wrong, but that's at least how I remember it. Do you ever get sick of the parable or it's just such a good intro for... Well, I mean, we've done 300 and I don't know how many episodes at this point, but, you know, probably upwards of 350. So do I get sick of it? I mean, a little bit, right? It's just It's just the parable I read at the beginning it gives us a way to tie every episode sort of together so that there's a little bit of a theme. But then once we're through that, you know, I just get to explore the guests work, which is what I love to do. So it's interesting. The parable is basically whatever you focus on grows. Is that a good synopsis of the parable for anybody listening who doesn't know what I'm talking about? That would be the simple one. I mean, it's, you know, it, for listeners, the, I mean, the very short version of it is, right, we all have two wolves inside of us. You know, one is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness and bravery and love. And the other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. And the wolf that wins is the wolf that you feed. So on a very simple level, you know, we all, the reason it's a good parable is you hear it and you immediately get it. You're like, oh yeah, okay. You know, I, what I, what I feed grows, what I give attention to grows. There are some subtleties to it that I've grown to like. I mean, I like the fact that it doesn't talk about having to do anything to the bad wolf. You don't have to starve the bad wolf. You don't have to lock him in a cage. You don't, you know, you don't have to do anything to the bad wolf. I like the fact that it sounds like it's kind of a close battle between the two, which is describes what it's like to be human. I I like that. It sort of says, Hey, we're all like this so that we can be less, we can feel less bad about some of the things inside us, these quote unquote, negative things like fear and greed and, and all of that. Like that's, we all, we all have those seeds in us. So those are some of the more subtle things about the parable that I like, but yes, at a, at a, at first glance, it's pretty straightforward. It's, you know, what you, what you give your attention to grows. When you 
have conversations on your podcast with all these incredible spiritual leaders? Do you think, oh, I want to add that to my practice? I don't even know. We will get to what your practices <laughs> are. And you're like, uh, yeah, I already knew that. And you like just start going, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that too. And, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly been some of that over the years. Yeah. I read, you know, I, I take prep for the interviews pretty seriously. So I read, you know, most people's books. And so, yeah, there's a, there's certainly a, a pull at points to be like, oh, I should be doing this. No, I should be doing that. No, I should be doing this. Several years ago, I made a decision that in my own life, I was going to pick a particular path and I was going to stay on it for a period of time to protect me against that. Cause in early on I was, I was just all over the place. You know, I'd sit down and meditate and I'd be like, I don't even know what to do. Not because I don't know how to meditate, but which of the 15 different ways of meditating that I've learned about on the show should I be doing right now? And it just, it got to be a little, I got to be a little bit too frazzled with it. So for myself, I sort of said, I'm going to sort of draw a line here. Um, not that you can really draw a line between your life and your spiritual life, but, but in a sense, at least for my spiritual practices and what I read for my, my own spiritual development and what I do for meditation, I'm going to, I'm going to be over here. And the path I chose at that point, which I've stayed with, I mean, again, that, that could change at some point, but as was Zen Buddhism, but yeah, that's definitely something I, I deal with this is going through that. So what are you doing? What is your practice now? Do you have something you're doing on a regular basis? Is there a practice that you're doing just to kind of maintain your sanity these days? Well, that's an interesting question. I meditate every day, twice a day, actually, at this point. So I do, uh, I do, I try and do 30 minutes in the morning. I sit with my Zen group virtually. They're based out of Boulder, Colorado. So they're nowhere near me anyway, but I do that. And then I meditate again in the evening. I meet with my teacher a couple times a week. Beyond that, I have other practices. I write every morning. I exercise is hugely important to my, I would consider my emotional and mental well-being as, as much as my physical well-being. So I do that. I'm trying to think if there's other practices. You know, then the rest of it just becomes how do you, you know, how do I live my life? What what what's the what are the attitudes and thoughts and spirit that I bring to everything that I do is is that's the bigger challenge, of course. Yeah. Now I'm going to go back a bit. It's on your website that you were a heroin addict and facing prison. How did you get out of that at <laughs> the age of 24? Yeah. At the age of 24, it's true. I was a, uh, was a homeless heroin addict and I had potentially something like 50 years of jail time, multiple felonies. You know, I got out of that by getting sober and, you know, honestly, partially the way I got out of that was by being a upper middle-class white male. You know, I think I was given opportunities that lots of people wouldn't, you know, it was my first serious offense. And so I was given the opportunity to enter something called a diversion program, which meant that if I completed all the terms of the program, which were full restitution, a lot of community service, probation for, I don't know what it was, something like four or five years, checking with my probation officer, blah, 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 uh, testing clean for drugs for a certain number of years. If I did all that, the whole thing would just go away. If I didn't, then I would be essentially pleading guilty and accepting, you know, a certain sentence. So but again, I feel like I was given a was given an opportunity. And so I took advantage of that opportunity. I got sober and I uh, really threw myself into recovery and I was able to do meet all the terms of that program. And uh, thus my that that went away. And 
you just turned your life around at that point? That's probably a, that, that's it in a very short sentence. <laughs> a little more complex than that. But yeah, I went into a treatment center. And from there, they said, we think you need to be here. I went into detox and, and they said, you need to be here longer. And I, after some debate, uh, agreed with that. And then I went into another treatment center after that. And I really threw myself into recovery and recovery became really my life for, for a number of years. And then I stayed sober about eight years and then I started drinking again. And that went on about four years and then I got sober again. And that was in 2007. So I guess I'm coming up on 14 years in February. So 13 plus years this time around. So, I mean, the vast majority of my adult life has been in recovery, which I am very grateful for. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that is great. I heard you being interviewed and someone was asking you, oh, who's your favorite person that you've interviewed? Who's your favorite spiritual teacher? And your response was just fabulous. And that's like saying, who's my favorite kid? And who's my favorite this? And you were talking about the imperfections of everyone. And I'm going to completely paraphrase what you said, but basically that nobody is on a pedestal. That is my paraphrase. That all humans have frailties and no one's perfect. Yeah. And I wondered what brought you to that place or you just, that's just a knowing of yours. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, I think what brought me to that place is just interviewing, you know, so many people over the years that, that a lot of people really look up to who would be considered spiritual teachers or spiritual leaders or great psychologists or musicians or author. I mean, pick your, pick your area of interest. These people who are, you know, people do put up on a pedestal and you talk to those people. I've had the, the opportunity to talk to a lot of those people and some of it's on air and some of it's off air. You realize like they're people, they wrestle with the same sort of stuff we wrestle with. Some of them may have had, may have a, a, a strong faith. They may have had spiritual experiences. They may, they may be very, very wise, but that doesn't make them perfect. One of the guests we've had on a couple times who is one of the people who's most influenced me spiritually is a gentleman by the name of Adi Ashanti. And he said once, you know, if you want a, if you want a perfect spiritual teacher, pick a dead one, right? Which is just a great phrase because it basically says, hey, look, if, if it's somebody that's alive, they're going to, and you interact with them very often, they're going to disappoint you in some way, or they're not going to live up to your standards of, of this perfection that we sometimes put on people. What's the most common question that you're asked? That's a good question. I think the most common question I'm asked is some variation on how do I do X consistently? You know, as a behavior coach, that's certainly the biggest. It's, it's really, you know, I want to, I know exercise is really valuable. I know it's really important, but I can't seem to do it consistently. I start, I stop, I start, I stop. You know, that's, I, I get a lot of that kind of thing. So what do you tell somebody? Uh, Cause that would be the same with meditation. Oh, I can do that once in a while. I, yeah. I, I put those together, meditation or exercise. So they both make you feel good, but eh, I'm not doing it consistently. Yeah. I tell them pretty much, well, if you haven't done it consistently up till now, you probably never will. Don't bother. No, <laughs> you're a lost cause, buddy. That's what I say. You're a lost cause. No, I say exactly the opposite of that, really, which is 
you know, don't take the fact that you haven't been able to do it consistently up till now as some sort of sign of your inability to do it. It's, we know a lot about why people do things these days. We know a lot about behavior change. And so what I tell people is, you know, we've got to, we got to start at a level that's, that's easy enough for you to do. We've got to work on getting that established and then we can kind of build from there. And then we have to talk about what sort of things knock people off the path over time and how do you get back on? So yeah, we, 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 a lot of uh, uh, trainers will sometimes, if they're training an athlete, they'll talk about first you establish consistency, then you build duration, and then finally you work on intensity. So I, I do something similar. It's like, all right, let's get, let's start, let's start as small as we need to start so that you can get consistent. So with meditation, I was an on again, off again meditator for 20 plus years just over and over and over. I'd read something about meditation. I think that's really important. I really want to do it. I'd start doing it. I'd do it for a day, a week, a month, and then I'd quit. And then sooner or later, I'd read something about meditation because I'm always reading that sort of stuff. And I'm like, I really should be doing this. And I'd start and I'd quit. And so finally, about, I don't know, seven plus years ago, I just decided I'm going to meditate for three minutes a day but I'm going to do it every day. And the reason I did three minutes was I was like, I can't, I can't really say no to that. Like that's so easy that I kind of have to say yes to it. Right. If I'm, if I'm going to, and so then it became, all right, let me just get it done 30 minutes every day or three minutes every day. And then I was able to build, you know, I was able to build from, if you can get to three minutes every day, it's not too hard to go to four, five, 10, 15, 20. It's that daily consistency. That's the really hard part. And then, you know, like I said, recognizing, like we all get off track. Everybody gets off track. It happens. It's inevitable. Your kids get sick. You get sick. Your mom gets sick. You go on vacation, pick your thing. You're doing fine. You're, you're, you're moving along and then you get off track. And so the key then is just learning how to get back on track with the minimum amount of drama around it. If I were to sort of summarize the overall approach in like, you know, one paragraph. Yeah. I've given myself permission to go back to five minutes. Yeah. Eight doing an eight minute energy clearing, like whatever it is, you know, during this period of time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't strive for perfection. So something like I'm trying to do like meditation, right? I'm not, I'm not shooting for a hundred percent. I mean, that's my goal. My goal is to do it every day, but my, I generally feel like I'm succeeding if I do it 90 plus percent of the time, but I do that kind of week after week, month after month, year after year. If you can establish that kind of consistency, the occasional misses don't matter. They just, they're rounding errors at that point. Right. So how do you, with the exercise, do you have people exercise for five minutes a day? Like, what do you? It depends who they are and what's going on. I mean, it just really, one of the things that, you know, that I do in the coaching work with people is we've got to figure out kind of where you are and we have to start from there. A lot of people are trying to start way beyond where they are, you know? And so we've got to find where are you and start there. So sometimes that takes a little calibration process. So if it's somebody who hasn't exercised at all in a long time and is in really bad shape, then yeah, we might start with five minutes. You know, we might start with five minutes and, and get a commitment to that and feel good about that five minutes. And then we can build. I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons why starting small like that works. But, 
you know, cause when we start small like that, we're able to, if we keep doing it, we're able to do harder things, but it's still easy. And then, you know, we also really being successful at something improves our motivation. How about somebody that has an idea of something they want to do, but they're scared. They don't want, they're scared to take that leap of faith to jump, so to speak. Hmm. Well, tell them again, I think that would depend where they are in the process. Lots of people have something they want to do that they're scared of doing, but they're 50 steps away from the scary part. Right. So they're like, well, I'm afraid of what will happen when I publish my book and nobody will like it. And yet they haven't even started writing. I'm like, well, let's start. We've got a long runway to deal with the fear. Right. Now, of course, you have to deal with it a little bit because it, it blocks us at every stage along the way. Right. But but what we want to what we want to focus on is just let's start doing the work that we can do and establish that over time. I mean, eventually, yes, there is a point where we do need to make a leap or a jump of some sort. And each person is a little bit different in what what they're afraid of and why they're afraid. But at a certain point, yes, we sort of have to just face our fears and go, okay, you know, it, it's, I, I, I sometimes joke that you get to, you can get to this point. I, I got to this point when I was younger, when I was finally like, you know what? I was afraid to ask a girl out. And I would finally get to the point where after just not doing it and, you know, I would get to the point where I'm like, the pain of being a chicken is worse than the pain of rejection at this point. And so a lot of times we have to, we have to stack up. What am I afraid of? Well, I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of the response I'll get, or I'm afraid of that thing. But then let's talk about what's the, what's the, I'm afraid that I didn't try. Which of those are you going to be able to live with better over time? And, and we know from lots of interviews of people, you know, on their deathbed, that it's the things they didn't try that they regret the most, right? Not the things they tried and didn't go well. And so that sometimes we have to, you know, we have to put those two things at and look at them and go, which of these are we really more afraid of? Yeah. What would you tell someone who's having a hard time just getting out of bed in the morning? Hmm. Well, if you really are having a hard time even getting out of bed, you probably have clinical depression and you should. Not clinical depression, though. Like it's just somebody, you know, and they're just like, I don't want to do this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel that way most every morning. Uh, at first, I just don't wake up. It, waking up is not my, my best time of the day. Oh, what would I say to somebody? Well, I think I'd need to know more about the person and what's going on. Well, besides your heroin addiction and all that, but just if you had dark periods in your life, how did you overcome those? Well, I think I've definitely wrestled with depression most of my uh, adult life. And so for me, dealing with depression has been, which is the, the thing when I'm depressed, I don't really want to get out of bed or do anything. You know, depression for me, I've, I've sort of taken a, you know, throw the kitchen sink at it approach, right? I, I have been on medication. I exercise is hugely important to me. Connecting with other people and talking to other people, sharing with other people, therapy, if that's needed, are as important. Eating right is really important. Getting enough sleep is important. Really watching my my media consumption these days is really important. You know, what am I putting in my brain? Are there things in my life that need changed? You know, I'm I'm a big fan of the serenity prayer, right? I think it's a very, very wise idea, right? Give me the the courage to change the things I can, you know, the serenity to accept the things that I can't change and, and the wisdom to know the difference. So a lot of times I think we need to look at, okay, what is it 
you know, what's weighing me down? You know, what's weighing me down? So if somebody doesn't want to get out of bed in the morning, what is it that's weighing you down? And is it something you can change? And if so, all right, let's put together a plan to do that. And if it's not, then let's start working on the acceptance piece. Because if you can't change it, you're going to have to learn to live with it. How have you dealt with roadblocks in your life? I tend to be the sort of person that I'm trying to think of like what I would, what has been a roadblock in my life? That, pivot. <laughs> what's okay. that? You just pivot. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, I, I, I pivot. I'm trying to think of a specific example I can give. Well, when, when I had to shut down the solar energy company, right? That was a, that was sort of a, felt like a roadblock at the time, or I guess it was in a way, right? I'd spent five years and this was my baby and I loved it. And I ended up shutting it down. The laws in Ohio just kept changing and solar energy went from being something that was reasonable to do in Ohio to something that was unreasonable to do in Ohio based on the, the laws. And, and we kept losing, you know, tens of millions of dollars of deals just because the legislature would change their mind. And after the the third time, I just was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I just can't do it anymore. So that was a really big roadblock. And so there was just a period of time where I lived with the disappointment of that, you know, and then eventually the podcast was kind of born out of that period. So, you know, I, I'm a big believer in, it could be really useful to not, I love the idea that stories don't really end. I mean, our story ends when we die, but in the meantime, we were kind of what feels like the end of the story, but we don't know what comes next. We tend to believe we do know what comes next. And we have a tendency to forecast a lot of times darkness moving forward. Yeah. the doom, uh, doom. <laughs> You know, but we just don't know, you know, we don't know the future. We, we, everything that we're telling ourselves about what's going to happen in the future is to a certain extent made up. I can be pretty comfortable about what's going to happen after you and I get off this call. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a client I'm going to work with. I can be pretty comfortable about that. But I go out a year from now, and th those predictions get a lot hazier. You know, I work a lot with clients who are just convinced of, you know, people who are recovering from addiction. I, I know I'll use again. You know, I know I'm going to use again because every time up till now they have, but. I know countless people where that's not the case. One day, in my, my case, there was just a day where that it didn't happen again. So, you know, I say to them, like, that voice doesn't know the future, right? It, it, that voice in your mind doesn't know, none of us know the future, right? If that voice somehow does know the future, then call me up and we're going to go to the, the racing, we're going to go to the racetrack, right? Like, we're going to cash in, but the voice doesn't know the future. So, so we have to we have to move out of believing those limiting voices that tell us I know what the future is because they don't they can't predict the future any more than than the rest of us. That's for sure. So if you have a message of hope, what would it be? I think my message of hope is just I think it's always possible to improve our 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 condition. You know, it's always possible to improve our lives, whether that's an external change or an internal change, right? There's always something we can do. There's a step we can take right where we are. One of my favorite quotes, I've, I've seen it attributed to a bunch of different people and I usually misquote it, but it's something like, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. And I love that idea, like wherever we are, there's a place to start. But we, we have a tendency to think, oh, I need this to happen and I need that to happen or I need to, I need to be able to do this. And, and, but we can always take a step towards 
what we want in life. Again, whether that's internal, external from right where we are. And so I, I'm just a big advocate of start where you are, but start. That reminds me of, uh, I heard years ago, God doesn't drive parked cars. You can't sit in a corner and go, I want this, that you have to take an action. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. Things resonate with you when they resonate with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you're definitely reaching a lot of people, which is so great. The more people that we can reach with that, this kind of message, the better. I mean, I love listening to you. So, and I could tell from the people that have interviewed you that they love listening to you as well. So thank you so much for being a guest today on 52 Weeks of Hope. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and take with you Eric's messages of purpose, self-awareness, and self-care that he shared. Such great messages to take into our week ahead. Be sure to tune in next week when author, podcaster, speaker, and life coach Andrea Owen joins 52 Weeks of Hope. Are you ready to be truly seen and heard? Are you ready to find and fulfill your passion? Are you ready to make some noise? Then next week's episode is for you. Andrea tells you how to master resilience and get that unshakable confidence. Andrea survived a bad marriage, love addiction, an eating disorder, really bad breakup, in other words, life, which brought her to her knees and she did a ton of work on herself. And since then, she created a wildly popular podcast, Make Some Noise. It has over 3 million downloads. She just published her third book, and she tells you how you too can have empowering tools for success. She gives you very succinct tools for you to own your success. It's a super empowering episode. She's a certified coach and she just brings a lot of tools for you to achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve. So that's next week's episode. Join the Facebook community and meet up with us. Once a month, we're having different modalities to learn different tools to use to stay present in the moment. There's a free, if you missed any of them, last month there was a free chakra clearing where you can clear your own chakras. Week The month before, there was a free breathwork session. Then that, they live on there. So if you join our Facebook group, you have access to these. Next month, there's going to be a free time management teaching that'll be really great so just come and join us in there and you can do it live on zoom and just get to meet us or you still have access to it it lives on the facebook community so that'd be great we'd love to have you join us and if you have any questions if there's any healers or leaders or change agents that you would like to see or any problems that you'd really like to see specifically addressed just send me a message at 52weeksofhope.com and drop me a line i would love to hear from you remember to please subscribe to the podcast leave us a positive review and send us any feedback on our website 52weeksofhope.com. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening.